You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. All right, so we've been going through this Journey to God series, and the whole idea of the Journey to God is to work through the Psalm of Ascents. Uh, and those are the um, psalms that we've been working through where the Israelites would sing these as they go to Jerusalem. Uh, they would go to Jerusalem for uh, three times a year for different festivals uh, to bring their offerings to God. And as they would do so, they would sing these particular psalms uh, to prepare their hearts. And so that's what this whole journey uh, that we've been going through is to prepare our hearts to go before God. And uh, we're actually ending this on Christmas Eve. Uh, so that's kind of a cool thing as we get ready for the coming of our Savior. Uh, we're preparing our hearts as the Israelites would before they went to uh, the temple. And so I think that that's a pretty cool symbolism. And I also love that uh, we're preparing for Christmas, which is uh, when Jesus came to us. And uh, one of the my favorite parts about what we believe in and the God that we serve is that he came to us. Um, and so that's one of the cool things. But I think in the, what gets lost sometimes in the mercy and grace of our, of our Savior uh, is that sometimes we still have a job to do, right? We still have things to do. We still can prepare our hearts for him. Uh, and uh, so that's what we've been doing throughout this series. Uh, and one of the things that you might have seen as we've gone through word by word by word, today we're on obedience, there's a, a similar idea that you might have been catching on to, which is to remember. Um, and this word in Hebrew is zacher. Let me hear everyone say zacher. Hey, that's pretty good. You got to get that guttural sound in there. So yeah, that's, that's the Hebrew word for remember. And it's said 233 times in the Old Testament because God wants his people to remember. Uh, this is a continual callback. And that's what is a common theme throughout these uh, Psalms, as we prepare our hearts to bef- go before God, as we look at each individual word, whether it be hope or joy or, or uh, perseverance, we can remember all that God has done, all that God has done for us and how he's provided for us every step of the way. And so that's one of those things that uh, I think is important for us to just really focus in on today, um, that as we prepare our hearts before, or to go before God, we need to remember Um, and look back and see what God has done for us before. And I think that that'll help us along the way. And I'm going to talk about more of that later on. But I just wanted to bring that up to start with, because we're going to start right off in Psalm 132. And it's going to start off with that word, zacher. Uh, And so uh, our psalmist, the author, he's going to uh, share with us uh, a couple of stories that we have to look back and remember, see how God has provided before so that we can move forward. And it's, that's the common theme of looking back and moving forward. All right, so we're going to be in Psalm 132. Uh, I'm going to break it up into chunks because this is actually one of the longer ones. Um, and we're going to look at each of these stories individually. So uh, Psalm 132, verse 1, let's read it together. Lord, remember David and all his self-denial. He swore an oath to the Lord. He made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. I will not enter my house or go to my bed. I will not allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling for the mighty one of Jacob. So this first section of this psalm, as, as we're singing, remember, get into the mindset of the Israelites as they're going to the temple and they're singing these psalms. Uh, this psalmist and this song is recalling us back to David. Uh, so 
David wrote a lot of the Psalms and even some of these, uh, some of the Psalms of Ascent. Uh, but this one in particular clearly wasn't written by David because it's talking about David. Uh, and the psalmist is calling us to remember a time in David's life when uh, he really had a desire in his heart to do something for God. He wanted to glorify God by building him a temple. David had a pretty interesting life. He's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And uh, one of the cool things about him is that his life just goes to shambles, right? His whole life goes to shambles. But why is his life so hard? Why is he having to live on the run and sleep in caves and, and be afraid all the days of his life? Why did he have to lose his best friend and his family and abandon everybody just to be on his own and fear for his own life because of his own kingdom? Why? Because God anointed him as king. Imagine that. Like God comes to you and anoints you as king and now you have to live for, in fear the rest of your life. Like that's just a, a weird thing that happens to David and his whole life is, is marked by that. Uh, but because of that, he's got this humility and this appreciation for God that he writes throughout all of the Psalms uh, that he writes. And um, anyway, at, at one point, uh, God does eventually make him king and he becomes king over uh, Israel and he gets to build a palace in Jerusalem and everything is going really well in the kingdom. And, and at some point, David looks at his palace and thinks, man, I've got such a nice house to, to build up and, and I've, got so, I've got a nice place to live, yet God still, his Ark of the Covenant is still in, the, in a tent. Uh, God, that, that shouldn't be, I shouldn't be in a nice palace and you be in a tent. No, that's not, that's not the way it is. So I, I want to build an even nicer place for the Ark of the Covenant to rest, for you, God, to have. And so he goes to the prophet of the time, the, the man that's uh, been kind of charged with keeping tabs in, on David and, and speaking into his life. And uh, that prophet's name is Nathan. And he goes to Nathan and says, I want to build a temple for the Lord. And Nathan says, that's a great idea. And... Uh, and then about half a day later, comes back to David and goes, no, never mind. I didn't mean it. <laughs> and goes back to him. It's actually a really cool story. Uh, and if you want to know, in the notes, I wrote the three passages that I'm talking about. I wrote them in there uh, so you can look them up yourself. But I'm just paraphrasing for you. But Nathan comes back and says to David, hang on, I just talked to God. God and I just spoke. And he said, actually, I don't want David to build the temple. I want a son to do it. It's a good idea, but... I don't want him to do it. I want his son to do it, which uh, lets us know something. First of all, these prophets, um, I think we all automatically think that when we read the prophets or look at the prophets, that it's always whatever they say, that's what God said. But actually, as you read through the prophets, you'll see that there are specific times when it says God told them to say this. And then other times where they seem to be speaking out of just their own wisdom. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing. They speak out of the wisdom. They know scripture. They know the Lord. They have a deep relationship with him. So a lot of the times they speak out of just their experience and their knowledge and their wisdom, but not specifically hearing from God. Uh, And I just think that that's just kind of a unique thing that we don't always pick up on, but that sometimes God's not audibly saying to the prophets everything that they're supposed to say. Sometimes they just speak out of the experience that they have. And in this case, Nathan says something, and then God says, hang on, no, I don't actually want that. I want to do that. And, and just to encourage all of you, and something that's encouraging to me as I speak, you know, right here, right now, is just knowing that uh, if there's a fear of, not, of saying the wrong thing, but God will come alongside and say, hey, that was the wrong thing. Go and, go and fix it. Uh, you don't have to be so afraid all the time. You can say what is in your heart to say, and you can say from your experience, and, and that's what Nathan does, and then God corrects him, and that's okay. The story's okay, and everything worked out. Um, 
The second passage in there actually talks about, uh, it's actually Solomon talking in that passage, and he's about to open up the temple uh, for everyone to come and worship, and, and that's when these Psalms of Ascent would have started happening. But um, he, uh, he actually says in that passage that it was a good thing that David had in his heart. It was a really good thing that David wanted to build the temple. Uh, and what's actually cool about that is it wasn't God's will. It wasn't God's will to build, or for, for David to build the temple. It was, a, it was God's will for his son to build the temple. But it wasn't God's will for David to build the temple, and yet it was a good thing. Another thing that I think we gloss over all the time is thinking that if it's not God's will, it's bad. Not always the case. Uh, this was a good thing that David wanted. It was a good heart that David wanted. And sometimes I get frustrated in my own life when I'm working really hard at something, and I'm trying, and it feels like God's working against me. I'm like, God, I'm trying to do something good. And I get that voice in my head saying, yeah, that's good, but it's just not the right way. And so I just want to encourage you that sometimes we encounter obstacles and things and we feel like, oh God, like what, what am I doing wrong? Am I a bad person? Am I doing something bad? And I feel like it's just that encouragement of knowing that, no, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just not the way God wants it done. Uh, so just, just a couple of things from the, that story. And then the final uh, passage that I put in 1 Kings 8 um, the reason why God didn't want David to build it, I think that was just a cool little side thing of, of David uh, had too much blood on his hands, meaning that David was a conquering king. That didn't make him a bad guy. That just uh, was his, his role for Israel. His role as the king was to conquer the lands and, and to establish a land of peace. But he wasn't a king of peace. He was a king of war and conquering and victory, which which reflects on God. God is the God of victory. God is, is a conquering king, but God didn't want his temple to be built by the man that was a conquering king. He wanted his temple to be built by the man that was a peaceful king. And so he wanted everyone to know uh, not that his temple was built by the spoils of war, but his temple was built by a peaceful and wise king, and that's what Solomon was. Uh, so he, he wants to be reflected in Solomon, not David. Not that David was a bad guy or didn't reflect him, but that Solomon was the name that he wanted. He wanted the king of peace and wanted the world to know that that's what his temple was all about. Uh, so a couple of things that, that I see in this passage that, uh, that I've learned recently. I, I did a Romans study over the past 10 weeks, and it really impacted my life personally of, of learning and walking through the text. And one of the things that came up during that study uh, was talking about obedience. And this was a couple months ago, and, and God was just tugging on my heart about uh, making sure I remember this and jot this down. But there, there's two different types of obedience, all right? So um, there's active obedience, and then there's also passive obedience. Uh, and we're talking about our relationship with God. So there's, there's active obedience when you're talking about God, when you're actively living out his will. When you're actively going to church, well done, everybody. Good job. Uh, when you're reading your Bible, when you're praying, when you're fellowshipping with others, when you're uh, whatever you fill in the blank of what God's called you to do, you're actively living it out in your life. You're taking steps and making it happen. That's your active obedience to God. And that's something that we're all pretty common with. And we see it in David's heart that he's, he wants to build a temple. Like that's, and he starts to take steps. And even though God says, you're not the one to do it, he still takes steps to prepare the way for Solomon. He gets a lot of the materials set up so that Solomon can do it when he uh, is, is ready to take over. 
So uh, we see David's active obedience, and that's something we, we're, we're pretty used to. That's, that's pretty obvious when we talk about obedience. But there's another type of obedience that I think is important here, and that's the passive obedience, which means allowing or accepting God's will. Now, I want to preface this by saying God's will will happen whether or not you like it. It's going to happen. You, you don't get a choice in whether or not it happens, but you get a choice in whether or not you are at peace with it. You get a choice in whether or not you are okay with it. You get a choice in whether or not you like it and, and you can support God and trust him and have faith in him in spite of what he's doing. So God's will is going to happen, but your passive obedience is you saying, I trust you, God. I don't necessarily see it. I don't necessarily even like it. Hopefully you do. Most of the time, I think we do. We don't give him enough credit when we like his will, but we, we really pick out the times we don't like God's will and those are the times when we need that passive obedience to just be like, you know what? This isn't the way I'd like it, but I trust you, God. I believe in you, and I know that you ha- you're a good God, and you have a good plan. And that's what David shows, right? He wants to do something good, and yet God says, no, you're not the man to do this. I want your son to do it. And David stops and says, okay, I won't. So David shows both passive and active obedience in this. And, and if we want to truly obey God, we're going to have to show him both, both sides of it, too. Let's move on in the passage and read uh, the next section that the psalmist wants us to look back on. So it says this, we heard it in Ephrath, Ephrathath, something like that. Uh, we came upon it in the fields of Jair. Let us go to his dwelling place. Let us worship at his footstool saying, arise Lord and come to your resting place. You and the ark of your might. May your priests be clothed in your righteousness. May your faithful people sing for joy. Uh, so this passage is actually calling, and again, I, I, li- I left you uh, a couple passages in your notes where this is talking about the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is uh, this box that God rested upon. It was called the mercy seat where God rested on top of the Ark. Uh, and it was just a wooden box with gold plating and cherubim on top. What was inside it was the signs of the covenant, which was Aaron's staff, which had budded. It's the two, ten, uh, two tablets of the Ten Commandments and the manna showing God's provision. And that shows the signs of the covenant because the covenant was all about how God would provide as Israel obeyed. And that was the covenant and the law that was in there. The Israelites had to obey the law and the manna was a sign of God's providence. I'm providing for you. And that was the covenant between uh, God and his people. And so uh, the Ark of the Covenant showed that and they and they would keep it with them everywhere they go. That was in the holiest, Holy of Holies. That was in the tab- tabernacle wherever they went. Uh, and the Ark of the Covenant was sacred to them. And people knew about it. All the nations knew about it because the Israelites would take it with them. And every time they had the Ark of the Covenant with them, they won. Whatever the battle was, they had the Ark of the Covenant with them, they won. And so at one point, the Philistines didn't like this, decided to go and steal the Ark of the Covenant. Like, oh, well, we're going to go take that because that thing, that thing keeps helping them. And let's see if it'll help us. So they go and steal the Ark of the Covenant. And that's what that first passage in, in 1 Samuel is all about. Them stealing the Ark of the Covenant and taking it to different towns in, in the Philistine area. And uh, it's pretty funny. They put it in front of a, a, one of their idols, their gods. Uh, and they leave it there for a little bit. And they come back and see that their idol had bowed down had fallen face down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. So they put the idol back up and like, what the heck? What was that about? And then they leave and they come back and the 
idols face down again, right in front of the Ark of the Covenant. And I think that was really cool. And then they pass it to a new town and, and uh, everywhere it's going, the people are starting to get these diseases and, and issues, health issues that are causing all sorts of problems. And so they're freaking out about this stuff. And eventually they get to the point where they're like, we got to get this thing out of here. So they pay money and bring a sacrifice to give back the Ark of the Covenant to the Israelites. And like, here, take it. And here's all this stuff with it. Like, we, we don't want this anymore. And it's just really cool. And one of the stories that I told my middle school kids uh, a long time ago, it's one of my favorite lessons, uh, was just that this is essentially, you take the significance out. You take the God out of this. It's, it's a box with a couple of rocks, a stick, and, a, and some bread. That's what, that's what the Ark of the Covenant is. It's shiny. It looks nice. But you take God out of it, it has no significance. It's just a box. And yet, God, you add God into that, and it's able to defeat an entire nation and get them to <laughs> shoo it away and offer sacrifices and give them, give them gold and, and other things just to take the thing back. And that's what I love about our God. And one of the things I was telling my middle school kids, I don't know, like 12 years ago when I was starting out in ministry, is if God can use a box, he can use you. So I just want you to know that. Um, but one of the cool things that we see is uh, just the ark and the symbolism of it and how the covenant works, that God will provide as we obey. And that's going to be kind of the theme of the rest of the passage. So I'm going to go ahead and read that for all of us. Verse 10 through 18. For the sake of your servant David, do not reject your anointed one. The Lord swore an oath to David a sure oath he will not revoke, one of your own descendants, I will place on your throne if your sons keep my covenant and the statutes I teach them. Then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling, saying, this is my resting place forever and ever. Here I will sit enthroned, for I have desired it. I will bless her with abundant provisions. Her poor I will satisfy with food. I will clothe her priests with salvation, and her faithful people will ever sing for joy. Here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. I will clothe his enemies with shame, but his head will be adorned with a radiant crown. And so this is just this psalm that we've been singing, and it actually calls us to remember, right? Like, that's, that's one of the first things it does, is call us to remember a couple of stories where God has provided before. God provided for David and then provided for Solomon uh, and established this kingdom. God, in the Ark of the Covenant, he, he brought the Ark back to Jerusalem uh, and had it into, that's why David has it in Jerusalem, and he's looking at it in the tent, and that's when he's thinking, ah, I need to build a temple for that. So God had brought the Ark of the Covenant there, and that Ark of the Covenant itself shows God's providence for his people, how he brought them out of Egypt, and he's been providing for them and being with them. And why it's important to remember, why it's important to look back, is because you don't know what's coming. You don't know what's on the other side of tomorrow. You don't know what's on the other side of, you know, today. You don't know what's coming, and you don't know how God's going to provide for you. So how do you trust him? How do you obey him? How do you go forward and trust that he's going to be there for you? Well, you look at all the times that he's been there for you before. Every single one of us in this room has been through a time in your life where you didn't think you were going to make it. I feel pretty confident in saying that, that we've all been through a time. Maybe it's now, you know, like enough of us have been dealing with that right now. But we've all been through a time in our life where we just like, God, I don't know that I'm going to make it through this one. 
What are, what are you doing? <laughs> Where are you? How many times have you asked that in your life? And yet, here you are. You made it. You are a living testimony of the fact that God has provided for you in the past and has overcome these obstacles. And what these Psalms of Ascent help us do, and this one in particular, helps us to look back, remember the times in our lives that God has prepared the way for us, how God has provided for us. And because of how he's provided for us, both in our personal life and us as, as a church, us as a nation, as, us as God has done all these things for us in the past, as we look back and see how God has provided before, we have confidence to move forward. Knowing that even if we're in one of those times right now where we're thinking, God, I don't know how you're going to get us out of this. I don't know how you're going to get me through this trial. But I know that you've done it before. And I know that I've thought that before, and yet here I am, and you haven't left me. You haven't abandoned me. You haven't let me go. You've been with me every step of the way, and and I've made it here. And and the fact that I'm here shows that you've been here before. So it's just kind of like moving forward, knowing that God's going to take care of us, trusting that God's going to take care of us because I'm looking back at what he's done for me before. Knowing that, I, I, you know what, God has been there for, in that time in my life. God's been there in that time in my life. And so I can, I can keep trusting that he's going to get me because he's, he's been there before. And so that's what this whole psalm is all about, helping us remember to obey God and trust in him and trust that he's going to continue to provide for us as he's done before, both for the Israelites and for us in a personal life, like your own personal life, God has been providing for you and you can trust him as you move forward. Uh, so, a few things that I want us to learn from this. First of all, uh, I'm going to read a passage from Genesis 28, 20 through 22. It's not actually going to be on the screen because I forgot to put it in the notes. Sorry, guys. Uh, but it should be in your notes if you grab those on the way in. Uh, or you can use the Bible. That's also recommended. Uh, so, I'm going to read Genesis 28, 20 through 22. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Um, this, this is kind of like the theme of God's relationship with his people. The Jacob exists before Moses, exists before David, before the Ark of the Covenant was a thing, before the Ten Commandments. And David starts, the, he's the third patriarch, and, and the, he actually is the one that gets named Israel. And here we see the beginning of that relationship with his people as, they, as Jacob goes before God and says, hey God, I'm, go, I'm about to start my life. I'm about to go on my journey. If you'll provide for me, I will obey you and you will be my God. And that's that relationship that we have. That, that, notice what David, Jacob's asking for. Jacob's not asking for God to give him everything he wants. He's saying, God, if you provide for me, give me clothes on my back, food to eat, then I'll, I'll trust you and obey you the rest of my life. He's not asking for too much. He's not asking for more than he needs. He's just asking for his basic needs to be met. And that along that way, he'll trust and honor God and give him a tenth. That, that's, that's Jacob's... Uh, his covenant with God and his, his relationship with him. And so 
one of the things that I, I see, that's, that's kind of the theme that we see throughout the whole Psalm 132 and what we've been talking about today, about this zahir of looking back and remembering how God has provided, that God will continue to provide and we will continue to obey. And that's, that's our relationship with him. And there's a few things that I wanted to point out uh, about these passages that we can take away. First of all, uh, something from the Roman study is the idea of obedience and faith. The obedience of faith, as Paul puts it in chapter 16, is, is kind of the, the goal of a Christian. Uh, some of us call it discipleship. That's, that's the real-life term that we use. Some of us call it um, spiritual growth, or uh, Paul kind of uses this idea of sanctification, which is us becoming more holy or more like Jesus. Uh, and that's the, this idea of the obedience of faith. One of the things that I noticed uh, as I went through this series is that there's, there's two sides of this spectrum that people go on. Sometimes we get too lost in the rules where we follow the rules and like, oh, that's what leads me to God and that's what is my relationship with God and everything is about the rules. Um, and then other times we get so lost in grace and free, freedom that uh, we're like, ah, it doesn't matter. I don't have to do anything. And um, what, I, what I've learned is just that these are two... These two things of obedience and faith and grace, they're, they're one and the same. They're two sides of the same coin that if you truly believe something, you will follow it. I had a, my mom's actually here. This is my mom. She's awesome. She loves attention, so look at her. Uh, she hates it, actually. Um, one of the things that happened when I was a kid, it's really dumb. You're going to make fun of me for this, but that's okay. I, uh, you ever heard that, that old saying, like, you step on a crack, you break your mom's back? Yeah. There's like literal times in my life where, I, you know, I'm just like, you know, walking around and I walk home from school and I literally would time my walk and I would keep an eye on the cracks so that I would not step on them. There was just a little portion. Now, I knew, I'm, I'm not a dumb, gullible kid. Well, she might say otherwise, but um, for the most part, I, I knew, you know, I knew that wasn't real. Like that wasn't, I wasn't going to be like, oh no, I'm so sorry, mom. I wasn't going home crying if I accidentally stepped on a crack. But there was a small portion of me that was like, better not risk it, you know? So I'd void those cracks, you know? Like I'd, there's no point. And there'd be this, this small, it's so even a tiny little bit of belief led me to obey that rule. And there's just simple, this simple uh, relationship of faith to obedience where Paul understands, like, if you really obey, I don't need to convince you to obey. I don't need to convince you to obey because it, your heart has been changed by Christ, and so your desire is to obey. Now, the important thing that I want to share with that is Paul himself in chapter 7 mentions how he's trying to obey and failing constantly. And so he, he's talking about how he has a new desire to obey God but, and to live in the grace that Jesus has, but he's struggling and failing. And that's Paul. Paul, the guy that, you know, gave his life over and over to God. He still struggled with, with his weaknesses, with his sin. And so I just want to encourage you, like, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be perfect out obedience, but if you have faith and you believe, then the Holy Spirit is inside of you and has changed your purpose and your identity. Now you are living for a whole different reason. You're living to serve God. And I can tell you that because when you don't obey, when you do fall short, you feel bad. You have a sense of, oh, that's not the way I want to live. That's not who I want to be. And maybe it happens a lot. Maybe that happens a lot in your life where you're struggling. And it happens more often than I'd like it to be in my own life. 
But that's something that I can tell you because you have that desire, because you simply want to obey God, it shows that you've already been changed by him and that you already have faith in him. You already believe because otherwise there wouldn't be, when I accidentally step on a crack, there's a little bit of me that's like, oh no, that's because there's a little bit of faith. And how much more faith do I have in God to know like, oh, if I mess up, I have a feeling of like, oh God, I, I let you down. Now, not that I'm supposed to live in guilt or anything like that. I'm very much against guilt, by the way. That's one of my go-tos, never use guilt. But one of the things that it just does reveal in me is that I do have faith in God. I do trust him. I do listen to him. I do obey him as much as I can. And my identity and my purpose is to glorify him. And that's, that's my calling in life. But one of the things I'll say is the thing that obedience helps us understand, the active side. Remember, the passive side is important too. But the active side that helps us uh, obey God and, and to put a little more effort that way isn't so much uh, to be saved, which a lot of you, a lot of us might get lost in, you know, like the idea of obeying God is to be saved by him. But the reality is you've already been saved because you have your identity already changed that Jesus already died for you and you already believe in him. And because of that, you are already saved. You are already made righteous. So the, uh, the idea of obedience and why we should obey God and why we should strive to be more like Christ is so that we can be at more peace with ourselves. Because we, we have this desire in our hearts to glorify him. We have this new purpose, which is to help and serve and obey. And yet, we struggle and we make mistakes and we fall short all the time. And so if we want to live with less conflict as a follower of Christ, then we need to learn how to obey more and continue that process and stuff. It's, it's not a matter of salvation. Your salvation is already secured in Christ. But the obedience helps you live with less conflict in your heart. Um, and that's something, again, that's something that Paul was still working on when he wrote his letter to the Roman church. So uh, keep working on it and don't get discouraged if it's, if it's taken a while. The other thing that uh, I wanted to mention is that not everybody is, is that we're supposed to look back and remember and obey, not that we're supposed to see and let our circumstances decide whether or not we obey. Um, and uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is all about how all of the, of the famous people throughout the Bible never really got to see what God had promised them. That God's covenant with them never really got fulfilled in their lifetime. That God continued to provide, God continued to be there, but they didn't get to see it. And yet they obeyed anyway. They followed anyway. They trusted and, and had faith anyway. And so uh, one of the things I just want to encourage you is to first remember that obeying God doesn't necessarily mean in your lifetime you're going to get to see everything you want to see. Everything you want to see from God may not happen, but be faithful just like the people before us were faithful and trust and remember how God has provided before. That's what will carry you through. When you're struggling, when you're, you're afraid or you're uh, unsure and you don't know what the future holds and, it, and you're struggling with your obedience, you're struggling with your faithfulness to God, remember, look back. Not just throughout history, not just in the Bible, but in your own life. One of the things I wrote down there for you was to write as a hair list. Which basically, you know, you can write that or just remind, write down all the times that God has done miraculous things for you. Don't forget those things. God t- called his Israelites to remember over and over again. In that passage, Jacob sets up an altar and they do that constantly. And then they would name places after what happened there because they wanted to constantly be reminded of what God has done. And we as Christians, I think we have lost some of that. 
We've lost some of the, the, the history of remembering what God has already done for us. So write, start a list of remembering all the times that God has provided for you. Have a journal that you keep it and remember so that when you're facing a new obstacle, oh, remember this one time when I, really, I was really in deep and I didn't think there was a way out? Oh, yeah, God provided. Write that down. Don't forget it. Set up something that lets you remind yourself of that. That's how you look back and remember and trust. And that's how you'll be able to obey God more, uh, even when you're struggling. Finally, the last thing that uh, I wanted to point out is, what are we supposed to obey? <laughs> it's, it's all great uh, to talk about obedience, and you might be convinced at this point, oh yeah, I want to obey. I want to live with less conflict in myself. I want to remember and, and, and have faith in God and obey Him. But what does that mean? What do I do? Well, there's the obvious answers of, you know, love God, love your neighbors, um, make disciples, tithe and, and uh, do, or read your Bibles. You know, like there's the obvious Christian answers that we, we could give you. But there's a couple that I want to specifically mention to you today uh, that here at Real Life, um, being a part of Real Life, ways that you can serve and, and make a difference right now. Um, the first is relational discipleship. It's our church's mantra of how we connect with people and evangelize. It's not, we don't want to just preach and throw the gospel at people. We want to go and actually live it out in their lives. That's what relational discipleship is all about. We want to love people and show them the love of Christ as he's shown it to us. And you guys probably have all been relationally discipled by somebody. That's, that's why you're here today, by somebody that came alongside you and helped you in your time. And that's what we as a church are all about, is not to let that stop with you, but to continue on to other people. And right here, right now, whether or not you like the circumstances that, sh- that our world's in, whether or not you agree with rules that are being made, whether or not whatever side you're on, it doesn't matter. Situation is what it is. We're in a very tough time in the world, and people need community. People need hope. And guess what? You've got it. You are here and you have it. You have the hope that Christ has given you. You have the love that's in your heart. You have the community and support around you. Other people need that. And you're not going to be able to get them to come here. The the reality is that uh, in the past, and we probably shouldn't have relied on it as much as we have, but the reality is it was pretty easy for everyone to just say, hey, come to church with me. Or even better, come to this event. It's, it's still Jesus-y, but it's not too Jesus-y. So come on. It's easy to invite your friends. It's easy to invite your coworkers, family members, because this is a, a low-pressure situation. There's a lot of people, and you can kind of blend in. And it was easy to get them in the door. But it's not anymore. It's not anymore to do that. We have to go out of those doors and go to them. And when I say we, I mean all of you. The staff, we're already at work in, in doing it, and we're going to keep doing it. We're going to model this as much as we can, but the reality is if we want to make a difference and, and actually impact our community and share the love and the hope that we have, then we have to go and, and meet them where they're at. People aren't likely to come to church with you, but they might get coffee with you. They might, you know, in one of your houses have coffee. Hey, can I come over and once a week and just see how you're doing? And it doesn't have to be the pressure of, hey, I need you to know about Jesus. You can be so bold. That would be awesome. But you don't have to either. You could just come over and say, I just want to check in on you. And then when they ask in return, how are you doing? You tell them the truth. I'm doing okay because Jesus has given me hope. 
You tell them the truth about what God's done in your life. You don't have to force it upon them. You tell them the reality of, of your life and how you've been making it through. And that's because you have your church family and you have Jesus. And that, that alone is enough to speak to people's hearts. But we, as a staff, you can't rely on us anymore to do the work of discipleship and, and bringing people into this church. We need, as a church body, a body of believers to go out and meet them. Sound good? You in with me? Good. All right. The other one is tithing. And this is just my uh, brass tax thing. We bought a building. <laughs> And now we have to pay a mortgage and a rent. Like, we rent this place out. So uh, this is just where we as a church, I know times are tough, and I'm not in any way, shape, or form asking anyone to give more than you have to, more than you have, no. But I am asking that if you haven't been tithing, if you haven't been honoring God, like Jacob, you know, said in that, I'm going to give God a tenth of what he's given to me. He recognizes where it comes from, that it it was God's providence in his life in the first place, so I'm going to give back to God, and he's just obeying. So, if you're one of those people that haven't made that commitment yet, this is a great time to do it. <laughs> we would really appreciate it, but all the more, like, just I, I want you to live with less conflict in your own life and you to follow and honor God. And, and I, you know, I tithe. I tithe, and, and God has provided for me. In fact, I tithe more than I typically do. And sometimes I'm like, really, should I? I could cut this one out. But I never do because God always provides. There's, and it's just an awesome thing to be able to trust God and lean on him and to like, sometimes it's even like, all right, you know what? God, you've been so ridiculous. I'm going to give even more and see what you do next time. I don't, but I should. (laughs) But yeah, right now, if you guys can help us out with a relational discipleship of going and meeting and, and just reach out this week, find somebody this week and reach out to them. Say, hey, can I get coffee with you? You can come here or I can go to your place. Let's just have some coffee and talk and have community. That's, that's one way, and then tithing is another way. I have a few questions for you this week to be chewing on, and then in your small groups you can unpack them. Um, and then we'll take communion. I didn't get communion. Hey, Schmidt, can you go give me communion? Thank you. <laughs> um, good thing I remembered. First question, in what ways do you already obey? Number one on your list should be the fact that you're here. Way to go. You went into church. That was a sign of obedience. Uh, so good job. You have one on your list already, but I want you to think positively and write some other things down. You already obey God in a lot of ways, and I want you to be encouraged by that. So write down a list of the things you're already doing for God and how you're obeying. Second question is, how has or is God providing for you? This is your kind of zahir list, you know, this list that I've been asking you to write down. Start looking at how God has already provided for you in your life how he's been, through, been with you and helped you along the way, and how he's doing it right here, right now. And finally, do your actions match your faith? This is where um, we, we, I would call you to live in less conflict with yourself. Of You have a desire in your heart and do the best you can, and how is that matching up? Are you doing a good job? And be honest, you don't, don't immediately go to, oh, I'm not doing so great. You might be doing really good, but you know, you're probably also struggling in some areas. And here's what I'll tell you to do. Talk to someone about it. Don't make it just a personal thing. If you really want to grow, then don't make it only a you and God thing. Bring somebody else in and have that community. That's what small groups is all about. You want to know why relational discipleship works is because when you tell somebody the stuff that you're struggling with that you don't want to change, now someone else knows about it. 
And it makes such a huge difference in your life, just having that community. And just so you know, we're a pretty good church about not judging each other. So you're not going to get judgment here. Everybody else here, we all struggle. Amen? We all struggle. All right. So we're, we're in good company or bad company. I don't know what you mean by that. But you share your struggles with somebody else in here. They're not going to judge you, but they're going to encourage you and walk alongside you with that. And that's how you'll truly change. So if uh, you're going to talk about this, if you're going to look at how your actions and your faith are matching up, uh, talk to someone about it. Bring it up in your small group. All right, let's move towards communion. Everyone peel your plastic, as it says in uh, the Gospels, right? Um, (laughs) I'm going to give us a little time to pray about this personally. One of the things that God's really been telling me, I I know that you probably are getting plenty of personal time with God, but it's just super important for us to always have that, you know, just that real quick personal time with God. So I'm going to give us a a few moments to just pray over this, but this is, uh, this is one of the Zahir lists of how God's provided for you, you know, that we can look back and remember what Jesus has done for us. So uh, take some time and go to God. On Jesus' last night on earth, he took his disciples and he broke some bread and gave it to them and said, this is my body, which I will break for you. Take and eat. Then he passed the cup and said, this is my blood, which I will shed for you. Take and drink. Let's pray. God, thank you for providing your son for us and uh, that it's not just about us coming and, and trying to make it to you, but it's about how you come and meet us where we're at. Thank you, Jesus, for the sacrifice that you made, and thank you, Holy Spirit, for working in our lives and sanctifying us, helping us become more and more like Christ, helping us walk out the obedience of our faith. Pray that uh, we as a church can be used by you. This is heavy on my heart, God, but that all the people around us that are suffering and struggling and everyone that is turning to whatever means they can to just find any bit of hope that we can, we can find them and we can meet them. Just as you met us in our time of need, that we can meet them. I firmly believe that uh, the best way for all of us to move forward and the best time for us to really reach out is right here, right now, when people need you most. So God, I, I pray uh, that you can use us as a church to get creative and uh, be persistent and obey you by loving the people around us. Bless us as we go from here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.